Thank you so much. And uh, it's good to be back. Um, I feel like I've been here enough now. It's kind of like my second church and uh, my, my second church home. So I, it's good to be back home, away from home. You know what I'm saying? But uh, I know I'd bring you greetings from Kathy. First of all, she will probably be coming a little later. She had a presentation to make. We're uh, take, doing a Christian cruise to Alaska next year, and so she's telling uh, a group about that. But she will be coming, and I know she'd want me to tell you hello. Uh, greetings for her. And also greetings on behalf of the Transform Northwest board. We're, our church uh, is a part of that, a member of uh, that organization that uh, really has a, a great conference coming in July, and I, th- I think there probably are posters around about it, or they may show you a video or something, but definitely block that week. And if you have uh, teenagers, we have a full week youth camp, and it's food, all, all the food, the lodging, everything, 100 bucks for the whole week. So I've been thinking of moving out there myself. It's probably cheaper than I could <laughs> stay at home. I wanted to mention to you um, uh, a couple of things that maybe we could put the verse back up that says, uh, some through the water, the one that was just there a minute ago, the the part that you would need is the one that has the little blank uh, lines. The reason I do this, it helps, people say it helps me remember if I'm filling in the blank spaces as we go along. You don't have to do that, it's optional. But uh, they say, it, it, when I write it down, I remember it better. And uh, I, 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 I can keep it that way. There are other notes in there that you could read any time, but that's what I'll use and, and follow for you. And I promise you, I'll fill in the blanks for you this morning. If I don't, see me after church, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. I, I do use notes myself. I don't read from a uh, manuscript, but I use uh, notes because uh, it's, it's a memory thing. I, I, I remember the guy that said, maybe you remember this too. He said, I have got a great memory. I mean, I can just remember anything. The only problem is it's short. It's just a very short memory, but it's a wonderful memory. And I thought about the fellow who said his granddaughter noticed that he uh, was, was taught, when he talked to his wife, he said, oh, sweetheart, I just, I just, Looking forward to mowing the lawn, and thank you for the wonder. Oh, honey, thank you for the cookies. And every, every time he addressed her, it was darling or sweetheart or precious. And she said, his granddaughter said to him, honey, uh, grandpa, what is your secret? I noticed you call grandma beautiful and honey, and you adore darling all the time. What is your secret? He said, well, since, since you asked me, I'll tell you. Three years ago, I forgot her name, and I haven't had the courage to ask since then. So... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's why I use notes. <laughs> Anybody relate to that, darling? Okay, you, you've got it, of course. Well, hopefully not. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we bow before you today, thankful, and we, we are here because we are in love with Jesus. We're here because Jesus first loved us, and we're here because by your grace, through faith, We have accepted you as our Lord and our Savior. We thank you so much for this church, Father. Thank you for our pastor. We pray for him or for Rebecca, for their family. Just surround them with your arms of love. Let them know that here is a congregation who loves 
consistently and faithfully. We pray your blessings on them. Then, too, we open our hearts to the word. We uh, quiet our hearts before you. We ask in the name of Jesus that you would speak to each of us, any of us, Father, who need to be encouraged and strengthened, nourished uh, by the word, we pray that you will guide us in Jesus' strong name. And God's people said, amen. Well, again, it's good to be with you. And we're going to be, I'm speaking from a number of verses, but particularly Acts chapter 1 and 2. Now, recently I've been thinking a lot about the church. And the best place to find the record of what a true church uh, that God wants, a uh, powerful church, a strong church, one of the best places to see what that is like in the book is the book of Acts. Now, when you begin to read uh, Acts chapter 1, you begin to kind of wade into it, you might say, to see what was the secret, what were the strengths, how did the church function? The picture of the church in Acts chapter 1 is not a real strong picture, I, I must admit. Number one, it's obvious these are believers. They were getting together. They did, uh, did uh, identify themselves as believers. Um, you, you realize that, um, in fact, the first item of your note says, the farther we immerse ourselves in the chapter, the more obvious it is that the church is hiding out. The church is not a strong force in chapter 1. Um, in Acts 1, the only thing they, they do, they, they elect Matthias to replace Judas, as you remember, and they pray. And that's not uh, worthless. That's, somebody said prayer is the work. We pray about all things and in all things. And then Peter makes a speech. There are only 120 there. Um, and you think about, my goodness, what had just happened? You take this church, chapter 1 church, in context. What had just happened to them? Uh, Jesus, the Son of God, had come in the flesh. He had lived with them, those uh, ministered, uh, those two and a half to three years. Um, there were miracles. There were answers to prayer. There were healings. There were uh, uh, lives that had been changed. God had drawn many, many Jews to himself and even some Romans that uh, were serving in the, in the guard, as you remember. And so Jesus had suffered a horrific death uh, to prove his love for us. You see all of that. And then you look at the church in Acts chapter 1, and it, these are believers, but you might say they're anemic. You might say they're there, yes, they're faithful as far as we know. Uh, they believe in Jesus. It, it appears that way. They hadn't turned their back on him and just gone and done their own thing. Um, then he had given them the instructions to go into all the world and pre tell everybody what's happened. And that must have been ringing in their ears. And you, you, wanna, you see all of that and you see the church sitting, praying and electing Matthias. And, and that's it. Peter makes this little talk and you think, my goodness, don't you realize, you want to shake, don't you realize what has happened here? God, for the first time in history, in all of mankind's history, became a human being and lived for us, died for us, arose for us, and to prepare a place for us. And uh, you guys are sitting here talking, praying, voting, and so on. 
Well, I don't want to be too critical of them because they were living, they, they were doing what God had said to do as far as they knew, what the Lord had instructed them to do. So you look at the church, the three things in your notes there that I would identify. First of all, the church appears to be intimidated. And I think sometimes even today the church is intimidated. There was the death of Jesus, maybe uh, disillusioned some of them. They thought that uh, in some cases that he would maybe overthrow the Roman Empire, but Rome still ruled. Uh, They maybe have felt cold and abandoned, alone. He's gone now. He just ascended. Um, it, It was also, number two, it was withdrawn. It was intimidated, yes, but it was withdrawn. You you don't see in Acts chapter 1 the presence in society, the influence uh, in a troubled world. Uh, It was maybe embarrassed at what Jesus had promised and what they didn't realize yet that his promise was not yet fulfilled. He had said, wait and tarry until you are given power from on high, till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He had promised that, and at least it sounds like in chapter 1, They hadn't seen that happen, and maybe they had withdrawn because of that. Thirdly, it was now silent, or at least it appears so from the record. It appears there there were no witnesses. It doesn't look like there were any lessons or messages. They didn't even make announcements or have greeting time, you know. It looks like they're pretty silent in the whole thing. These are what I would call chapter 1 Christians. They are men and women who love the Lord, People who have been forgiven for sin, who are worshiping God, who are gathering with Christians, but whose life does not seem to have the power that Jesus displayed and promised would come when the Holy Spirit came to them. So here was the church with no power. And you can write that in if you want to. Here was the church, at least as far as we know, in chapter 1, with no power. They were believers. They knew what to do. They had watched it done for two years, and they had followed Jesus. Uh, they, they were followers all right, and we know, we know about the, all the apostles who followed uh, Jesus, the disciples who followed him. Um, I remember in my own life being a chapter one Christian. When I was a sophomore in, in or a junior, rather, in high school, I... Um, remember realizing I was sitting kind of uh, over to the side a little bit at the back of the church. I remember getting up and walking down and, and, and praying and accepting Jesus into my heart. Uh, I can recall when that happened. Uh, it's, it's a vivid memory. From that time on, I believed in the Lord, but I would just say I was existing as a Christian. I, I just kind of went through uh, the weeks, the months, the years, Got went to college. Fortunately, I was in a Christian college, and some things changed I'll tell you about later. But during that time, that first, I was growing. I was reading the Bible. I remember memorizing some scripture. I remember times when I felt like God really speaking to me from the Bible. Uh, Personally, it felt like to me it was that real. Um, But uh, in terms of making a difference in the world, in terms of of having an, an influence for Christ, I don't really know that I did. I just kind of was. Does that make sense? Do you follow me, what I'm saying? I remember that time in my life, and maybe we may go through those times uh, from time to time. Um, and, and really, I, I, I'm, I'm not making a difference. 
I mean, I love the Lord. I believe in the Bible. I, I go to Sunday school or a Bible study class and so on, um, that kind of thing. But um, in terms of making a difference, I, I don't see I, I had that realization in, in college. Well, what was missing, and it, it appears in the church, uh, this was missing, and this is in your notes also, that they were, they were less everything. They were lifeless, powerless, and fruitless. So they, uh, maybe there was the social thing going on, but in terms of, of the church impacting the world, it was kind of sequestered. Does that all match? Does that all fit what you know of uh, chapter 1? But then comes chapter 2. Now, you listen to the words of Jesus a few days after, he, and, and how promising he had been. He had said, in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He said, you will receive power. When he, you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the world. <laughs> a major promise. So why were they sitting and voting and praying? Uh, talking. We have reasonably, they probably ate together and so on. And they look around, and, and they maybe were intimidated by what they didn't have. Maybe no church buildings, but then nobody at that time had... Uh, there was the synagogue, there was the temple, of course, from a Jewish background. But there was no such thing as a church building or even a local congregation. So uh, they, they were maybe not effective. They didn't maybe have anything to minister with, you would think. Uh, they, if they only had a gym, they could attract young people. Uh, maybe uh, if, they, uh, if they had gotten on the Internet, they would attract, so I don't know what they would have thought of in their day. Uh, maybe if they had Sunday school or maybe small groups, well, they didn't have any of that, any of those things. And, and that's what was missing? Well, not exactly. Uh, not exactly. Today, the church has all those things. And sometimes they're very effective and powerful with it, but all too often the church, the local community of believers or the church in the bigger sense of the term, uh, the Christian community um, is, is ineffective. Uh, the church of uh, Jesus Christ um, is not called to sit and soak. It's called to serve and to make a difference in the world. Um, in fact, the Bible says so powerfully that the gates of hell will not withstand against it. The idea is not that the, the, the church is a fortress to keep the influences of Satan and of hell away from it. The idea is that the church is a marching army so that even those who are destined to spend eternity in hell, their lives would be reached. We would be effectively storming the gates of hell to take back to uh, grace, to God's love and relationship with him, those who were destined to spend eternity there. George McCloyd wrote, wrote, the great criticism of the church today is that no one's to persecute it. Listen to what he says. Because there is nothing very much to persecute it about. And I've thought, "Mm, I'm not wanting persecution. The church in China is, is devastated. We toured China for two weeks, saw one church, one little white wood frame church with a cross on it. 
probably are others around, but they say that the church in China has gone underground, so to speak, but they say the church is growing rapidly. Perhaps as many as 200 million Christians in China. I can hardly imagine that, but all underground, all secret, all meeting in homes, hiding out, and so on and so forth. Well, you look at the church in Acts chapter 1, it's, 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 uh, you know, it's just as miserable as the day that Jesus was crucified. You could hardly see them publicly. They were, they were sequestered. They were hiding out. And then you read Acts chapter 2, um, verses 1 through 6 and t- 12 through 18. Here is a church that is altogether different. And listen to Acts 2, 1 to 4. If you have your Bibles there, read it along. It says there was the, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly the sound like a blowing violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came on each one of them. All were filled with the Holy Spirit. And I can imagine these people were surprised. I can't, can you imagine if you begin to hear the sound of wind, a rushing wind, it says, uh, a howling wind, a violent wind? You begin to hear it. Wouldn't that uh, surprise you? And then there was a ball of fire and, and, and tongues of fire, so to speak, was on the head. I, I'd be wide awake after that, I think. I, church would be a different experience. How about for you? Uh, probably somebody would hear about it next week, amen? We probably would tell people, you cannot believe what happened. And they would say, what is this? I don't believe that. You say, I saw this. I saw it with my own eyes. I experienced, I heard this. I saw it myself. Well, it wasn't the drama that was the main thing. The main thing was that what was happening is that they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were filled, just as John, just as Jesus had said in Acts 1.8, they were filled with uh, the, the Spirit of God. And la- there, was, there was a time later where they, they, they were persecuted, and they, they were, in fact, it's written, we cannot help but say the things we have seen and heard. Now, the interesting thing is that we don't have the sound of a rushing mighty wind every week. We don't have a huge ball of fire that comes and lands on each one of us, but... What we do have, when we are willing and when we submit to the Holy Spirit, we have the Spirit of God on our lives. And uh, every part of our life then is blessed by, filled with Him. And you look at these signs, the wind and the fire, uh, the miracle of languages. They, They spoke, according to the Acts record, they spoke and everybody they spoke to understood them. This was, this was a literal miracle that they, there were people, I counted them one time in a study, there were 13 nations in Jerusalem at that time. Those people said, how do every one of us hear them speaking in our language? The miracle was that they communicated, they hadn't been to college, they hadn't taken uh, a course in languages, uh, but they this miracle was that God enabled them to speak in the other people. Is that in your Bible too? Is that You have that in your scripture too? That's what I thought. It's pretty consistent. So Jesus, well, here are three things about it. These, these were the fulfilling of, fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus had told them about the wind. 
He said, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. The Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. I don't think he was talking about real wind. He was using that as an illustration to say the Holy Spirit comes when he pleases, where he wants to, and so on. But he says, you hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from. So with everyone who is born of the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit. The fire, also, there are 750 years earlier that Isaiah wrote, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and exalted, train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphs, and so on. Holy is the Lord Almighty, holy with his whole lamp, and so on. And the sound of their voices uh, reached the doorpost and the thresholds, and he says, woe in me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and so on. And then one, it says, one of the seraphs, because we're talking about fire here that happened on Pentecost, one of the seraphs flew to me with a coal from this fire in his hand, which he had with tongs, and he took it, and he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and what does Isaiah say? Here am I, send me. Now, today, somebody says, uh, well, we need some work done in missions, or we need to have work done at the church. We've got to repair this, and we're saying, yes, here am I, send him. But that's not what Isaiah said, okay? Uh, We can think of somebody else who could do that, or even teach a class, or lead a small group better than we, but we kind of excuse ourselves. Now, the languages, Joel had had said, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Now, prophesy uh, now to us means, because we're looking back on history, we, we see that they were saying this is happening. They were announcing it. They were proclaiming it. That was prophecy originally. Now we look back and we see that what they said would happen did happen. So to us, it looks different. We're looking back on history. It looks to us like they foretold. But really, the word prophecy means they foretold. They told, they announced, they spoke it forth, so to speak. And that's the the idea of prophecy. So here's a secret of this powerful church. Um, This is a chapter two church. This congregation in chapter two is different you see a number of things that are different about them. And you look with me at verse 6. This is chapter 2, verse 6. The crowd came together in bewilderment, utterly amazed. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed. They asked each other, what does this mean? You see, they didn't have it all figured out. But there was outreach is what I'm getting at. Ken Hutcherson said, the church, uh, the church in, in does signs and wonders, or God can do signs and wonders through the church, um, uh, not just to do signs and wonders, but to cause other people to become believers, to cause them to say, what caused this to happen, just like it did in Acts chapter 2. Verse 14, another one says, but Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd He spoke with confidence. He spoke with authority, for those of you who are filling in the notes. He spoke with confidence and authority. So there was outreach, and then there was this witnessing, this testimony, so to speak. 
Now, verse 37 to 41, I won't read it, but, but Peter preached repentance. And the scripture says that it, because of that message, 3,000 people were saved that day. A couple chapters later, the Bible says there were added daily to the church those who should believe. I mean, this was a chapter two church. You see the difference? There was a difference. Same people, same resources or lack of resources. And that's power, and that's evangelism. Um, we, um, we are not the ones who do it. We, we, are, um, we are only the means that God has through which he does his work. And so if, if you would read Acts 2, verse 42, for example, um, it doesn't stop with just the power of the evangelism, the confidence and those things, but it says that... Uh, there was a significant spiritual devotion to the Bible, to God, and to one another, and to prayer. Those were the priorities in their lives. There was a devotion to the Bible, to God, to one another, and to prayer. Verse 44 to 45 says there was true community. This common unity, there was true community. Verse 47 says they continued to love God and to praise him. And God dramatically built the church. Can you imagine a church in which every day somebody comes to, the, comes to the Lord and becomes a part of the Christian family? I can imagine that. That'd just, that'd just be amazing to me. Uh, a few years back, I, I had a dream, not a, not a uh, in-the-middle-of-the-night dream, but I had a vision, a, a desire, a dream that, that at least every week we would lead somebody to the Lord. And uh, we prayed and prayed and worked, did everything we knew to do. And that year, we had 52 new people that came to the Lord. It was, or I guess 50 people. We had hoped for 52. We didn't quite make it. So, uh, but we didn't consider ourselves failures. We considered that, that if you, you have not because you ask not. And so we realized that God had given us more than we normally would have because we asked and believed. Well, this, this church is alive. It's, it's committed Um, And here is the secret of a powerful church. It is the fulfillment of prophecy that God, he gave Zerubbabel years ago. This is what it says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you walk in my ways, keep my requirements, you will govern my house and have charge of my courts. I will give you the place among those standing there. For he said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, says the Lord. The, the, the mission statement of the, of the church should probably reflect this uh, because it seems to be the dividing factor between a chapter one and a chapter two church. With the Holy Spirit, we can, according to the scripture, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But we will never be all God wants us to be by ourselves. But with the Spirit, we will receive power and witness, just as he promised in Acts 1.8. There will never be power or authority in our witness without. We will want to witness. We will say some encouraging things. We will, we will even tell what the Lord has done for us. But that's all human effort unless we say, Lord, this is under the power of your Holy Spirit. The, the Lord taught me a lesson about this. Uh, it's probably been 25 to 30 years ago. I was uh, pastoring in Texas, um, 
And I, uh, we'd been there about three years, I guess, uh, in El Paso, Texas. And um, we had had uh, some people come to the Lord and some new things started. We'd done a little building project and, and some of those things. But um, at about the third year point, I noticed that we weren't making progress. And I, um, I realized that, that any idea we came up with just kind of fell flat. Maybe you've had times like that in your home or even in your church where you, you just, you're, you're trying. Um, and the Lord had to deal with me about my objective in, in preaching. I would become aware of some problems, and I would try to preach about that. And I became aware that I was making a serious mistake as a young pastor. I was shooting goats, and I should have been feeding sheep. Okay, God called us to be a shepherd, not to find the problems and to deal with the problems. That's not what we're doing. God will deal with the problems when we are true to the word, amen, when we're faithful to the word of God. So... Um, he had to deal with me. It was, a, it was a difficult time, but it was a breakthrough time too. And I came out of that experience. It was over, oh, six or eight months maybe. I came out of that experience realizing that I had been preaching and teaching and leading in my own power. And I got to the place where I said, okay, God, this whole thing is yours. My ministry is yours. The, the church I pastor or where I preach, they're all yours. And I promised God that I would never stand up to preach or to teach. I'd do the preparation. That's my part. I'd do the best I could. I'd listen to the Holy Spirit, try to sense what he wants, but that I would never do that. I promised him that I would never do that unless I, after I got it all prepared, did my part, that I said, Lord, okay, now it's yours. It's in your hands now. Uh, I've done what you've called me to do, and I'll preach the word as faithfully as I can. But it's now, it, it, it's, it's, you're the one that's going to have to make a difference. And I'll tell you, from that day until this, I have done that with every single time I've taught or preached. I sat in my car this morning and said, Lord, this is your message. It's not mine. Because if I try to do it on my own effort, you know how far it's going to get just as far as the Kleenex box. I mean, it's going to get about that far. That's how far the whole impact. But if the Holy Spirit uses what we say and what we do, he touches our hearts. He touches our minds and causes us to realize that there is a different way to live or a better way, what have you. So with, with the Spirit, we can do all things. With the Spirit, we will receive power. We will be witnesses. We have his promise about that. But like Isaiah, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, he said, because he, the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, sent me to build up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom, and so on. And um, the, the bottom line of all of this, uh, first I'll share with you my, the rest of the story for me and uh, just how that worked out in my own life. Uh, but, but the bottom line is that the, the church is no more powerful spiritually than its individual people. The congregation won't go any closer to God than the individual people get to God. Do you follow what I'm trying to say? In other words, we are the body of Christ. The, the New Testament calls us the members. We are members of the body. Uh, 
Uh, I suspect that's where church membership for many congregations came from. I don't know. But the, we are made up of individuals, and it's, it's like your physical body. If your knee, if, if your knee is, is, something's gone wrong with it, and you have to have knee replacement, you're not going to be running any races. Your whole body is going to have to treat that with care. Your whole, everything about you. I've had a toothache so bad. When I was a kid growing up, we had bad dental care. I've had a toothache so bad that I hurt everywhere. I mean, I was miserable. I didn't even go to school. And I thought, no, that's, there's an advantage to a toothache. But anyway, that was, that was it. The, the church is no more powerful than its individual members. It's like the chain is no stronger than its weakest link. If there's tension on the chain, the weak link is the one that's going to break down. Members can all be strong, but if there's one, you see the importance of the individual? That I have a sneaking suspicion that they got to the place in their prayer that they were unified, all committed. They were all in agreement. Now, this individual thing happened to me. I mentioned I was a junior in high school when I accepted the Lord. When I was a sophomore in college, um, there was a a special uh, revival, a special meetings that they had. It was a Christian campus, fortunately. And um, we came and so on. But something happened that week. We would go to chapel at 9.30. Um, there was usually a music, kind of a typical service. But uh, about Tuesday of that week, um, the, we'd be in the middle of the singing, and students would get up from wherever they were, and they'd come forward, and they'd, they'd, they'd pray, and they were giving their hearts to the Lord. Or maybe rededicating Known the Lord at some point, and had gotten away from him. And wisely, the evangelist knew and he, he, it turned out that many more came, and it was just a rush, a movement to God. And uh, wisely, he, there were mornings he didn't preach. Chapel would start at 9.30 in the morning. There were students who would get saved, who would turn their lives over to God, and then they would say, I've got to tell my roommate about this. They'd get up, they'd go get their roommate and bring him or her, and they would come and they would turn their lives over to the Lord. And sometimes 2.30 and 3 in the afternoon, chapel would be over. Now, you don't do that with college kids. That was an act of God, amen? That was a move of the Spirit of God. I have a conviction somebody had invested prayer and maybe prayer and fasting for that week to take place. But I was caught up in that, and I, I knew there were some big questions in my life. I, I was struggling kind of a typical sophomore year where you wonder, you know, what's real and, and so on, just a number of things like that. Just You wonder about everything, which is okay. But um, I went and talked went to talk to one of my professors who happened to be a Christian. I, I said, here's what's going on, and he, he gave me the advice, the counsel. He had a blackboard. Uh, and some chalk. Uh, that's what, now, chalk is this white stuff that you put. Blackboard is a black, a big, dark black thing. You can put the chalk against it. And, okay, I like to keep, you know, <laughs> if you're that, if you're that uh, old that you need to explain it, you're too old is what I'm saying. But anyway, uh, he drew a circle. I had put up marks that indicated things in my life, some major decisions, some minor things. He took that chalk and put a circle around the whole thing. He said, here's what you do. You just give it all to God, your whole life. Don't worry about this part and that part. Worry about just give, surrender the whole thing. Just commit the whole deal to God. 
And I got up and I, I, I in that revival. And about Wednesday or so, I thought, I'm going to just give it all to God. I, I'm tired of worrying. I'm tired of fussing. I'm tired of just trying to figure it all out. Have you ever gotten to that place? You think, my goodness, I don't know the answer to this stuff, but God does. So I'm just going to surrender. I'm going to give it all. I'm going to surrender it. So I came forward and knelt right about, the altar was right in this area, right here in the chapel, about this size, actually. And um, I said, Lord, I give you my future, uh, my uh, plan, my, you know, my major. What do you want me to teach? I was going to uh, uh, teach high school at that time, and I give that to you. I give you the, the girl that I'm dating, uh, that relationship. That's, it's all yours. And I felt really good. I kinda, it was an emotional release. I got up. I sat down. My debate partner was also a Christian, and he said, Ralph said, uh, is it all taken care of? Are you sure everything is right between you and God? And I, I started to say yes. And then I had a funny feeling. I, it was only a, kind of a sense that something wasn't right. I, I said, I, I don't know. I think so. He said, maybe you'd better go back and be sure. Some of the best advice I ever got. I got back up from my chair, went forward, and again, service was still going on about 11 or 12 in the morning, and I said, Lord, I've given you my future, my major, all those sophomore questions. I gave you my relationship with uh, Kathy. We already started dating at that time. I just give it all, do whatever you want to with it, because I want you more than I want stuff or your plan or whatever. I just give it to you. I don't know what else you want. You know what he said? Clear as I was speaking to you today, the words popped to my mind, I want you. I want you. You see what I was doing? I was compartmentalizing. I was giving God this and this and this and this. He didn't die for my stuff. He didn't die for my relationship. He didn't die for my future, my major. He died for me. And I said, okay. It reminded me, it taught me, that self is the last citadel to fall. You'll give God your future, your past, your friends, your finances, all of that. You'll give him those things, all that stuff, before you'll give him yourself and his right to you. But I'll tell you, when that came, from that moment until this, the presence of God has been with me. He's been so patient and so faithful it's the most remarkable thing. And I know probably a number of you have experienced that, where you said, I just give it all to the Lord. I just, I, I'm just going to live under whatever God wants is fine with me. And the Lord has done some phenomenal things. I would never imagine what God would do uh, with my life. I had the privilege of pastoring the church. This, we would have 2,200 in attendance. There was another time he took us to Africa for four years to be ministers. I think we shared a little of that with you. Um, for, to do missionary work for four years. I went to 16 countries. I mean, God did all of that. But I know that it started right there with surrender. I know that it started in prayer. I know that it started... All he needs is a willing person. He doesn't have... He doesn't only uh, call the, 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 the able. He enables the called. He doesn't call only smart people or the capable or the super people. He calls, he enables any of us who respond to his call. It's, it's, like, uh, it's like a chain I mentioned to you, no stronger than the weakest link. 
You know, it's, it's football season is coming up soon. I'll close with this. It's, it's coming up soon. And um, the drafts are kind of over. Uh, but there's always, there's always a few guys who um, don't sign up right away. They hold out, right? They don't, uh, they, they're thinking maybe there's a better deal somewhere. Maybe it's not, they're not getting the plays they think they ought to get on that team. They'll go to another team. Or maybe it's just, it's the money. Maybe it's, uh, you know, there are a number of reasons they can be a holdout. Now, does that always work? No, it doesn't, does it? Because sometimes a team will, will, uh, will call their bluff and say, well, yeah, you do, we don't need you either. <laughs> we don't need you as much as you thought we needed you. And he, he's gone, you see. Sometimes it does. Here's what I want to say to you. Don't be a holdout with God. Don't hold anything back. You see, the thing that you hold on to the most may be the very thing that's keeping you from living a powerful and victorious life. You may be willing to kind of fake it. And uh, the guy said, fake it till you make it. I want to say, why don't you just surrender? Why don't you just give up? Because you couldn't give up to anybody who knows more than God. He's got a lot of experience. Uh, He's been around a while. He won't be surprised that you've been holding things back. (laughs) He's loved us all the time when we've done that, when we've been a holdout. And we thought, I'll just wait for a better deal. Does that work? Does it work to wait okay? So I would say to you, and you can tell, you can see it, uh, in others, you can see people who are, are, are chapter one or chapter two believers. Uh, if somebody is, is asked to do something, and not only do they do that task, but they do more than that, is that chapter one or chapter two? That's chapter two. If somebody is kind of, it's a lifestyle, it's a way they're critical, they're kind of complaining all the time, chapter one, chapter two. Chapter one. If somebody is... Um, uh, is, is knows they made a mistake, they, they maybe offended somebody, and they say, I am so sorry, I want you to forgive me. Chapter one or two? Two. Okay. If somebody else says, you know what, I saw that, but I already forgave you. Chapter one or chapter two? Two. Okay. If somebody is always, uh, let's say they've made a, a lifestyle to be um, uh, th- to be critical and to find faults in others and to hold things, hold other people off, chapter one or chapter two? One. So the challenge is how do we be chapter two? Well, don't want to be the weak link. We're not going to hold out. We're going to say, okay, I surrender all. I just give this to Jesus. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for the word that's clear to us. We see the difference between chapter 1, chapter 2 believers, and we want to be a part of a chapter 2 church. Father, we want to be a part of a congregation, a group of believers that is committed to you, and that's what we want to be ourselves. And so we ask that together, as we pause now for a moment of prayer, just listening to you, hearing your voice, you speak to our hearts. There, there may be some area, Father, where we've, we've been chapter one and we know it. There may be other areas where we're not sure, but we think maybe we have been. But God, we don't want to leave without knowing it's all in your hands. 
we belong to you. We're surrendered. We are committed to you. And we are all living chapter 2 people. We ask for your spirit to come upon us. Some of us would even say, I give it all to you today. I surrender it all. It belongs to you. I've been a believing person, but I've not been an achieving person. I've been a follower, but I've not been obedient in every way. And I know that. And as we wait before you, Father, we're going to wait quietly just a minute, just one minute. Just wait before you. And Father, if you speak to us, Anybody you speak to, we're going to stand. That person is going to stand and say, I'm surrendering now. That person is going to just stand as an act of faith, an act of obedience to say, I know what God's talking to me about, and I give it to God. I follow him. I'm listening to the Lord. I will obey. I see an area where it needs to be surrendered. I do not, I will not be a holdout Christian. I'm going to give this to the Lord. It doesn't matter what we might have been holding out. That's secondary. What matters is, are we following you? So we will do that. We wait now quietly. Speak to any of us you want to. We will just stand as an act of faith to say, God spoke to me and I responded. I believe God. That standing will be a testimony and will encourage other people as well as mark it down. This is the day that I refuse to be a holdout. I committed to being a chapter two believer. Pray that you would speak to us now as we listen to you during this minute in Jesus' name. Take 15 more seconds. If God's speaking to you, this is the time. Take a stand for Jesus right now. Father, you see our hearts. You know that many of us have already made these decisions. Many of us uh, seated here have already committed. We've said, God, I surrender. It belongs to you. And we're following and making a Show us to. We're committed in every area. Others of us are thinking about it. Others of us are standing to say, God spoke to me today, and I have committed. I have given to God everything. I'm not going to hold anything back. I've given to him the whole thing. He can work it out however he wants. He is now in charge of my life, and I thank you, Father. This is a day of victory. We give you praise, Father, because when The scripture says, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed in truth. And so we thank you, God, for what you're doing. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you, Father, for uh, the person that maybe has wrestled with something for a long time. And today is the day they said, it's God's. I'm not going to fight this anymore. It belongs to Jesus. And we give you praise for that. 
And now, Father, we pray again for our precious pastor, Peter, and Rebecca, and their family. We lift them to you. We ask God that in the name of Jesus, you would help this congregation to raise up a great man of God, to pray for him, to love him, to be patient, to serve. Thank you, Father, for uh, his heart. And we pray for their whole family. You know the details. It doesn't matter to us, but we do want you to know we love you. We want to be the people that you would have us to be. And everybody said, amen, amen. Are you glad you came to church? Okay, you'd rather be here than the best prison in the whole state, right? That's what I thought. Okay, greet at least three people before you grab a cookie and tell one of them, I really like you. Okay.